Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey, this is Richard. If you're following the smart home industry, you've probably heard about an up-and-coming new standard called Matter. It used to be called Project Chip, and it's backed by the Connectivity Standards Alliance, which used to be called the Zigbee Alliance. But Matter isn't Zigbee. It's a new standard designed to ensure interoperability, simplicity, reliability, and security of the connected devices in our homes. Confused yet? There's a lot to wrap your head around, and we've held out on talking about Matter until we knew more. Is this the standard that finally pulls everything together? We're excited to welcome Jennifer Patsantui to the show to help us unravel it all. Hey everyone, I'm Adam Justice from ConnectSense. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. As usual, I'm joined by my co-host Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone. Hey Richard. Hey Adam, how are you? Doing good. And uh, we're going to talk a bit about Matter today. What is it? Uh, what's been happening? And kind of our takes on how companies plan to adopt it. And to sift through all of this with us today, we're joined by Jennifer Pattison Tui from The Verge. Welcome, Jennifer. Hi, Richard Adam. Really pleased to be here. So pleased to have you and uh, really been enjoying all of your writing. You recently joined The Verge, uh, but you've been killing it and doing awesome. So just great to see that Thank and you. great to have another friend <laughs> over at The Verge. Yeah, I know Dan, Dan wishes he could be here too. He's very jealous. <laughs> we'll, we'll have him back too soon. All right. Well, before we get started, we like to start each question off with a completely unrelated question to the smart home and today's question, I think, is kind of timely, considering that we're recording on the weekend leading into Halloween. So my question to Adam is, are you team candy corn or not? I would say generally not. If I do something of that consistency, I like the little uh, pumpkins. It's like the same stuff. It's just a different form More factor. More of it. Yeah. But, you know, more or less, nah, I could do without it. How about you? I am 100% on Team Candy Corn. The problem is, I literally have not had it in years because I'm doing this anti-sugar thing. And so if I am going to have some sugar, it's going to be in... I don't know, like a really good piece of chocolate or a glass of wine or something, not in a piece of waxy candy, but it is my favorite Halloween candy. And I don't understand why all the hate. I just don't understand. Jenny, where do you land on this one? I used to love it as a child because they don't have it in England. So when I came to America, I was like, ah, give me candy corn. But now I won't let my children eat it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it's just pure sugar i'm with you chocolate all the way um so i'm with both of you <laughs> yeah um it's it's just it has no flavor it's just like eating a bowl of sugar 
I would agree with Richard. You know, if you're going to eat something sweet, you got to make sure it's worth it. And uh, um, I don't know that candy corn's necessarily worth it. I did used to eat it like a traffic light, you know, like you'd bite off the first color. Oh, yeah. Color. And then, yeah. Totally. Is there <laughs> any other way? <laughs> <laughs> Just shoveling it in your mouth. Exactly. I, I know. <laughs> That's what my daughter does when someone gives her some when I'm not around. <laughs> also, again, the only way to do it. Just by the handful. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to submit a question for us to open the show, uh, you can send a question on Twitter with the hashtag AskAdamAndRichard. Digging in on our main topic, um, this is one we've been wanting to talk about for a while and have just kind of put it off until things solidify and all of that. So I think the best way to start out was going around and talking about if you were to describe matter in one sentence, what would how would you describe it? You want to go first, Richard? Sure, I'll I'll go. <laughs> I'm going to describe it as yet another standard for the smart home, but this one might just take. How about you, Jennifer? How would you describe it? I would say matter is the promise of the future smart home that we are all hoping and praying we'll be living in in the next five years. Ooh, <laughs> nice. I think yours wins, but <laughs> I'll, I'll go with the, the nerdy direction of the one true smart home protocol to rule them all. Ooh. Oh, that's good. Yeah. One ring to rule them all. <laughs> so, I mean, in my mind, one of the re the best way to talk about matter is to start by talking about what's wrong with how things are today. I kind of put this in three perspectives from the perspective of people building things like us, uh, the perspective of consumers and the perspective of the platform owners. So for companies like us, I, I've talked about this a bit on the show before, but the effort in keeping up with Apple, Google, Amazon, Samsung, and you know we can go on the long tail even further for days is a ton of work. And those standards continuing to have revs and new updates and things like that, especially for a smaller company like us, it's just too much. And so, you know, we chose to support the major three. Uh, we never even did smart things. We've looked at it. You know, we've looked at other things, too, but it's it's a lot to keep up with. And so... It's just a, a challenge for, for companies and even the large companies, too, to decide where to put their efforts. On the consumer side, I think it's too confusing for average consumers to know what products to buy, what platform to align with, and once you do pick one, how to find solutions that work with what you have. And then, you know, on the platform side... It's a whole huge thing for these big companies to maintain and advance the platforms and do it in such a way that brings value to all parties, et cetera, et cetera. So I think with all of those problems is why they finally said, okay, can we all get on the same page and work with the same base standard um, to solve some of these problems? So let's talk about 
that for a while. These problems aren't new problems necessarily, right? We've always had this issue of, okay, well, which devices, which platform are we going to support? Which ones are we going to buy? So is this the thing? Like, are are these the nuggets of the problem that have been holding back the industry? Because, by God, for how many years have we been talking about, oh, the next five years are going to be the year of the smart home? Jenny, you just used that <laughs> terminology, right? So mm-hmm. is this the thing that finally gets us over the hump? I guess it, that's the longer-term question, but has is this the set of problems that's been holding us back, do you think? I do believe the confusion is a problem that has been holding the smart home back and the multiple protocols and the who works with whom and what. And I think that's been a barrier from the leap from the adoption that happened quickly when Alexa came out and the Echo. Um, There was a quick adoption um, amongst regular, you know, non-tech fans because this was a fun gadget that I could use to play my music. And then, oh, look, Amazon was pushing quite hard, you know, buy a light bulb and you can turn it on with your voice. But then the next step beyond that got confusing and tricky and people just didn't didn't go beyond it. A lot of people didn't. Um, or you got a ring doorbell and, you know, it worked with your Alexa, but then you tried to add something else and it wouldn't work. And so that, I think, you know, was a dead end for a lot of consumers. So now if, if this lives up to its promise of being the protocol or the standard, uh, we I think we need to clarify exactly which it is. But um, if it lives up to that promise that I can just go into a store, buy a product and it will work with my home, it in a way is going to move us beyond the concept of smart home, which I actually think is a problem for the smart home and just to home. <laughs> like this will work in my home. I don't have to have a smart home for this to work. Mm. Does that, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's one of the problems a smart home has is it's intimidating for the regular consumer. Um, but if I can just screw in my light bulb and because I also have another light bulb or a plug or a TV, that works with matter, suddenly everything's going to work. That is going to be, I believe, an important step forward for the smart home from the consumer perspective. That makes sense. So, Adam, how's this going to happen? What is matter? What? It, where, where do you fall? Is it a standard or a protocol? Um, <laughs> I would say it's a standard. So, um, you know, if we really wanted to nerd out, we could talk about <laughs> the, you know, layers of a, you know, protocol and how this all works. I don't know that I remember that all, but we definitely talked about it in college. But I know that it solves a software level problem. So we're going to talk about radios in a minute, which is more the network layer. So this is more the software at the device level. Still on top of this, I I think some of what still remains to be seen is what happened you know, what is the software that controls matter look like and those interfaces and things like that, it's probably going to look similar to what we have today with some of the existing standards. But this is more about how do these devices talk to each other? How do you get a device, you know, on the network? What does that process all look like? So it's all stands to um, try to enable compatibility, offer simplicity, interoperability, reliability, and security. And sort of everybody brought different things to the table. Uh, I know Apple 
open sourced a lot of HomeKit and a lot of what they had developed. Um, I know a lot of the security model looks very much like HomeKit from what I've seen. And this was originally called Project Connected Home over IP or Chip or Choip or whatever. Lots of names. I miss Chip. Chip was great. I know. Matters. <laughs> There's so many matter jokes, too. Uh, lots of, does it matter? You know, I don't know if this matters. We'll try to avoid all the matter dad jokes for this podcast. Um, Come on. I had one in our internal headline. They're unavoidable. They're absolutely unavoidable. But I, I think but that that name gives kind of a clue as to what this really is, right? That it it's a way of representing and and operating devices via IP. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we could go back to our problem set and talk about some of the problems that non-IP standards like ZigBee, like 433, like somebody's custom wireless that they use just for their stuff that has its own hub. All the hubs you have in your smart home today are part of this problem because everybody uses different devices and different things. And so the choice to use uh, IP or internet protocol means that you can talk to all the devices on the network in a two-way standard format. So I think it was important to be able to have that to kind of get to this vision of where we want the smart home to go. So from a Network layer, it does leverage Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, which commonly found today in smart home devices. And it also leverages heavily Thread. And this, to me, feels like Thread's finally here party. (laughs) You know, I was saying uh, before we started the show that uh, we actually joined the Thread Alliance very early on. Year one, big rah-rah party at Google it sort of felt like this, that it was going to solve all the problems of the smart home. And it has, you know, that was a number of years ago. And actually that experience is one of the reasons why we're not part of the matter Alliance yet. uh, The connectivity standards Alliance, because um, I want to make sure we're ready to go. We probably will get there in the next year or so, but you know, I was kind of waiting on the sidelines to let some other people be the early adopters and figure some of this out uh, after that experience. But Thread is important um, for two things. It gives you low power communication for some of those devices that you know might need to run on batteries. And it also is sort of the mesh piece of uh, matter. So we'll allow you to have a, a mesh in your home to be able to communicate to a lot of devices across the home. Well, um, I think the key here is that Thread, and therefore Matter, because Matter is really built on Thread, was developed for the smart home, whereas all the previous protocols were co-opted to work with the smart home. And that's kind of where the one protocol to rule them all comes in, I think, is Thread is the protocol, I guess, and, and Matter is the standard, but it's this appli- it's an application protocol, like a common language a common interaction across devices and ecosystems that works on the level that these devices need, like low power, mesh, is designed for the smart home. And that's where I'm most 
um, optimistic. Uh, I, I'm not entirely optimistic, but that element of it is what <laughs> excites me. <laughs> I think the problem comes with the companies, but the actual technology layer does sound very promising. And that I was talking to um, Nick Weaver, CEO of Eero. This weekend, he was at The Verge's um, event that they held this weekend, and he was talking, they announced that they were going to support Matter, and he was talking with me about it, and he was explaining, you know, that from their perspective, you know, their Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi is their bread and butter, <laughs> but they're turning on their thread radios, and um, they're, in, they're going, you know, they're fully supporting Matter, and that is because it was designed for these smart home products, and um, Wi-Fi obviously it's still part of the game. Wi-Fi is not going away. We, we're using Wi-Fi for the products that need it, but for the sensors and for the light bulbs and for the, the devices that just didn't mesh with Wi-Fi and caused a lot of issues. I mean, my smart home constantly goes offline because of Wi-Fi problems. This is what I think from a consumer perspective and a developer perspective is, is the, the biggest promise of matter. You know, we've got this protocol that is designed to do what you need it to do. Mm -hmm. One thing that I want to clarify, while you listed Bluetooth, some listeners may have been listening to what Jenny was just saying right there and asking, well, but doesn't Bluetooth do a lot of that? And the answer is yes, sort of, but it's one of those co-opted standards, right? It was designed for other purposes and ultimately started supporting the smart home. What Bluetooth is going to be used for in Matter and something that it's very, very good at is for helping products come on board to help identify a product and communicate with that product to come on board your smart home network that you're creating, your smart home system that you're creating. It won't be used as a general communication or control protocol. Yep. I'll clarify how that works because we, we do this today for our devices. Bluetooth is used to communicate with your device and send it Wi-Fi credentials and be able to monitor it to make sure you get on the Wi-Fi network. So if you remember the old way, which you still may encounter, where you had to like switch Wi-Fi networks and your device was showing up as its own access point. Bluetooth makes sure that you don't have to do any of that dance anymore, um, where you can just continue to talk to the device while it's in the process of getting on the network. And is that more or less what HomeKit is doing as well when they help you onboard products? No, they do their own totally oh, different okay. thing. <laughs> that, all right. Of course they yeah, do. <laughs> right. Of course they do. <laughs> yeah, I would say theirs is actually probably more like the old way, but they do it in their own kind of secure fashion. Um, so, but yeah, I don't think they do the whole Bluetooth thing that I'm aware of. Well, and that's a really key, another key point of matter from the consumer side is that all devices will connect the same way. Like the whole onboarding process will be the same, whether you're attaching a garage door controller or a light bulb or a fridge 
or whatever. Because that, again, is another area that the consumer often, you know, bangs their head against the wall. Like, I can't get it to connect to my network. I have to turn off my 2.4 gigahertz or I have to do a dance and, like, hold it up <laughs> above my head and <laughs> before it will connect. And, and now, in theory, um, the matter will unify the onboarding process for all devices, um, at least for the matter 1.0 ones. I guess we don't know going forward for the next set whether that but that's the, the aim and a, another really hopeful promising feature <laughs> and adam you described how your devices do this with bluetooth now but y'all had to come up with that yourselves right and and that's one of the things that's so efficient about the current way this works is that every company that wants to onboard devices has to more or less come up with their own process if it's outside of the standard Google, Apple, or Amazon workflows. Yeah. So, I mean, that should benefit all parties. The, you know, the big guys don't have to come up with, you know, standards anymore. The consumers can get used to one behavior. This is how you do this. This is how you get smart home devices on the network. And, you know, for companies, they can innovate in other ways. I mean, getting devices on the network, I would say, has always been a big challenging piece of every project we do. And we've done it a bunch, but it all like it's always changing. We're always, you know, it it takes a while. And so it'll be nice to kind of take some of that off the table. So Jenny mentioned the devices. So let's talk a little bit about what does matter support. I'll clarify that this is not widely, you know, kind of easily available. So if we miss something, um, you know, please excuse that. But the devices that are listed today are lighting devices, HVAC, blinds, TVs, sensors, locks, and appliances. Hmm. I don't see camera doorbells there, do I? <laughs> I can understand this. And, you know, I think cameras is way more complicated than people realize. And, you know, we talked earlier about battery and things like that. I think that's one of the biggest challenges with cameras is and why everybody's had to kind of do things their own way and why you've seen people not support HomeKit video and, you know, things like that. I mean, I had heard that secondhand from a few people that um, supporting HomeKit video was rather challenging. And, you know, that's probably why we never saw a ring come around to their promise on, you know, HomeKit and, and things like that. So I'm actually okay with them holding on cameras because you got to make sure you do it right rather than kind of rushing into it. But we'll see. And I think that's the key there is doing it right. Because from a consumer perspective, I think a lot of people are going to go, huh, well, isn't the smart home cameras like that's one of the main things you use your smart home for. So how is this actually helping me if it doesn't work with my cameras? So I think that's going to be a big barrier to start with for Matter, not having cameras. Um, but I spoke to the CSA um, a couple of people from the CSA. So that's the Connectivity Standard Alliance, formerly known as the Zigbee Alliance, who are overseeing matter. So um, the CSA is the kind of governing body of the matter standard. Um, and they said they want to do cameras and it will be in the future uh, rollout. 
but they need, so they do working groups for each category. For example, they have like a lock, there's the lock access control group is for the locks and, and the garage door openers and, and they want to do the same thing for cameras. But I think from the what they were explaining to me right now, the people that are work that would be doing cameras are actually working on the other stuff first because most of the companies are the same. So there's it's going to be a while, which is a shame because the cameras are an entry point. My concern with the categories here is that they're not necessarily broad enough to bring up adoption right away to Matter. But one of the things I hear talking to everyone I have spoken to about Matter is this is not a quick fix. This is a long-term process to solidify the smart home. And, and you know, we, we've got to be patient. <laughs> I imagine they also have to figure out how they're going to get the various big players, camera ecosystems to work together because Amazon and Google and Apple all have their own backends for cameras. They all have their own services that you pay for to provide secure video access. So there's there has to be plenty of hurdles to doing this and getting it right. And this is a huge category. So if they get this wrong, the impact would be enormous. So it probably makes sense to do this one later because it's more complicated, because they have other priorities, because they have to get it right, because the market's so so large. There's a lot weighing on this one. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And then, you know, HVAC is another entry point. So the smart thermostat. So that's going to be a good one, as is the lighting. Um, Blinds is less of a a sort of pressing one. Locks. Locks are an interesting one. Um, I did talk to the, um, I was talking to a gentleman from Asa Abloys, which is Yale in August. And he was explaining that one of the challenges here is this multi-admin control. So um, I know we haven't gotten into this yet, but the multi-admin is the fact that you're going to be able to use any ecosystem to control your products with. So if you want to use HomeKit, if you want to use Alexa, you'll be able to control everything which with with whichever um, ecosystem you like. Now that when it comes to your front door lock may you know bring some security concerns like if you have multiple ways to access a door because you can choose to use all of them you don't have to just pick one <laughs> um so there were that's why I, I think they have this access control group where they're working out specific separate parameters around um this device because locks are a more sensitive area as our cameras. So yeah, I mean, it's important that they do all of this slowly and, and thoroughly. And, um, and that way we'll get a good end product or not an end product, because I presume this is actually going to keep going for a long time because there's a lot of categories. <laughs> so, you know, ultimately we need, we want the best experience. Um, we don't want it now if that's not going to be the best experience. Yeah. I mean, I remember earlier in 2021, you know, they were promising devices in the market by the end of the year. And so I'm actually kind of okay with the fact that it's been delayed a bit because like you said, I'd rather them get it right than rush. 
you know, I'm sure they wanted to have stuff demoable for CES. You know, I'm sure that's the big thing. And, you know, maybe there still will be some early stuff to show there. But I mean, I don't want it to drag on forever, but certainly three to six months is worth waiting to make sure we don't stumble out the gate and do something that kills the whole momentum and effort altogether. As long as, you know, as as long as they still have momentum, I'm completely on board with this pushing out because other than people like us, other than the manufacturer, other than people who are steeped in this industry, I don't think consumers care. Consumers aren't necessarily saying, I'm not going to buy a smart home device until matter is out. I mean, some geeks might be, and, and good on them. That may be a smart way to think. But I don't, other than the overall problems that we talked about earlier facing consumers today, I don't think that consumers are consciously holding back because of matter. No, I think you're right, the general consumer. But for your audience, yeah. <laughs> um, I would yep. say, don't wait. That is the message I'm getting from everyone I've spoken to, because I have asked the same question to everyone that I've spoken to around this, you know, because a lot of readers and people on on social media that I interact with are saying, you know, well, I'm not going to buy a new thermostat because I'm waiting for matter. Well, you may be waiting a while, so I don't want you to be cold this winter. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I mean, Google's already come out and said it's new Nest thermostat will be compatible, so you can feel comfortable with that. But I think if you're buying from one of the big players um in the space you can feel comfortable that whatever you buy now will work with matter um so i don't think people need to sit on their laurels and wait because you could be waiting a really long time i mean don't rush out and buy stuff now if you don't need to but if you if you have a need i don't think it's necessary to wait at this stage um i think we're there far enough in that because a lot of this can be updated over the air uh like for example the I have some Nanoleaf panels, which didn't have the capability to connect to, it didn't have the thread radios turned on or the capability when I first had them installed, but then it came with an update. So yeah, I I think you're right that it's, uh, the general consumer isn't, um, isn't waiting on the smart home, um, mainly because the general consumer, I don't think is buying much of the smart home yet. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I think, but the, but the people that are interested, I think have wait, have put, their plans on hold for matter. And I don't think it's necessarily something they need to do at this stage because the companies, I mean, Adam, you know, people have been working on this for a long time, haven't they? So it's already in the product. I think my advice would be remember the over IP part of chip and the radios we talked about, Wi-Fi, thread, Bluetooth. If you have devices in your home that support those, I think you're good to go. Or if you're going to buy new stuff that's, you know, a Wi-Fi device, should be fine. We know that all of our stuff that we have out there today, um, there's no nothing holding us back from supporting Matter. So um, go buy some ConnectSense devices. There you go. Um, <laughs> Very so, nice. I, and even the stuff that doesn't have direct IP today, you know, maybe it has a hub or things like that, if the if it has a bridge that is connected over IP, then, you know, there's probably a path there to supporting that stuff. That stuff might be more complicated, 
especially if they can't talk to, you know, full state at the end devices. I've seen that a bit in shades, for example, where you're sending commands, but you don't actually get information back on, you know, if it actually did what you told it to do. Those kinds of things might be more challenging because, you know, matter is supposed to have that full state end to end. And so those kinds of things may fall out. But, you know, anything that's IP connected today, I think you should be pretty good. The one category I'm slightly less clear on and would maybe hold off on would be security systems. Like if you're thinking about buying a smart home security system right now, because a lot of those work over Z-Wave. And while Z-Wave has said it's fully on board with Matter, the understanding is it's a bridge that's going to be required. And you aren't necessarily going to be able to have Matter devices, Z-Wave devices that speak directly to Matter. It'll be through a bridge or a controller. So that's one area. I think the security system area, home security, is still a little unclear as to how that's going to move forward into matter. So that'd probably be one category I'd maybe wait a little longer on. Sensors are in the first spec specification. So, and that's what most security systems are based around. So we should know sooner rather than later, but ring just came out with its whole new security system. Well, not well upgrade version of its security system. There was not a mention of matter. So, (laughs) um, and there hasn't been, yeah. So that's one area I I might wait. (laughs) We'll we'll talk about them more later. So we should talk a little bit about kind of who the big names here. I mean, the big three we've already mentioned, Apple, Google, Amazon. Um, We mentioned Samsung um, has pledged their allegiance, uh, Signify, Ikea, and then, you know, most of your major players in the smart home space, I think, are, are pretty actively involved in, you know, the the standards and working groups and things like that today. I think the group that's behind this and that's driving it as the standards board is most interesting to me, which is the Connectivity Standards Alliance, formerly known as the Zigbee Alliance. Yeah. So, I mean, I think uh, I'll get your take on that, but, you know, Zigbee wasn't necessarily long for the world of of where we were headed. And so clearly these people saw the writing on the wall uh, so much so they changed their name. I mean, that doesn't mean that Zigbee's going away, but you didn't see it as one of the core protocols of this this new standard. So... I mean, good on them for kind of finding a new direction and supporting where we need to go, not where we've been. Yeah, and I think, I mean, there are a couple things here. One is that Thread is actually, if I remember correctly, can work over the same radio that Zigbee uses. So, you know, there's some synergy there. It may, in fact, be one of the reasons that our friend Seth continues to uh, argue that Thread is just Zigbee, and so Matter is just Zigbee, but it's not. They are. That's are, not true. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. <laughs> We've had this argument many times over Slack, but uh, yeah, that, that is not true. They are. They are very different. Uh, but I, I, I agree with you. I think you know Zigbee has been a part of the smart home, but it's it's always been one of those bridging technologies, right? It's the thing that got you to your device. And that is, in fact, what Thread does very, very well. So uh, I'm frankly happy to see kind of Thread come in and take that seat now. 
I guess worth mentioning while you say that is Thread does still require a you're not going to talk from your phone directly to a thread device. You do need, I believe the term is border router or some other device to, you know, be your connection to thread. But the good news is you mentioned Eero earlier. Apple put thread radios in the HomePod mini. Like there's a number of devices that are looking to be that border router to be sort of the bridging connection to thread so you know that bridge concept is still there but i what i like more about the border router concept is it seems to be much more common of a device that has a purpose other than just being a bridge that is also providing that function of bridging to thread devices so does this mean we finally 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 reduce the number of bridges in my next attic? Unless you have lots of Z-Wave devices, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because, right. yeah, and, and the, the, the concept of putting a smart home hub in a functional item in your home is one I feel like I and, and you and many smart home analysts have been talking about for years, <laughs> but it never seemed to have happened. And I guess, you know, too many different radios in one device I get can be complicated. You don't want to have to throw your fridge away because your smart home hub stopped working. Um, but the great thing about a thread border router, it is not a complicated piece of equipment. It's just doing something very simple that I can't explain in great technical detail. But I do, from what I have been told, is it doesn't even like examine the packets. It just someone described it succinctly as a blind mailman. It's not even looking at what's going through it. It's just facilitating that transfer. Whereas a hub is much more complicated and it's doing a dance with the different radios and the different protocols. So hence your light bulb can be, or your light panels can be a thread border router. Um, And you can have multiple of them. And so when one goes down, your whole smart home doesn't stop you know, the power went out and my all my hubs are on one power switch and everything stopped working. But, because, oh no, the power didn't go out, but someone had pressed the button, that was it. And I was like, why is nothing working? Because the lights are still on, but someone just hit the red switch by mistake. <laughs> um, whereas if I had a thread mat at home, my other border outers around the house would have picked it up. And most people who are into smart home gear already have, border routers in their home. You mentioned quite a few of them there, Adam, and then there's also the Nest Hubs will all be able to turn into, well, the newer ones will be able to turn into border routers and the, there's all there's a lot of products out there. So it's not going to be hard to have multiple of those in your home. Yeah, that makes the whole thing much more fault tolerant to, you know, those kinds of little oopsies and things, you know, that happen. You know, this is part of life and reality and things like that. So you want something that's much more um, re- resilient than the current state of the smart home. All right. Well, let's take a quick break for our sponsors and uh, we'll return with some more smart home discussion. Everyone says that starting a podcast is easy, but let me tell you, making a podcast is hard work. That's where today's sponsor, Lightning Pod, comes in. If you have a podcast or you want to start one, then you should check them out. They can help you with every step of the podcast production process. We've been working with Lightning Pod founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. 
Eric currently helps us with editing and copywriting, but he's also available to help your podcast with recording, monetization, website design, and more. Learn more at lightingpod.fm. All experience levels are welcome. So whether you're a veteran podcaster or a total newbie, you should check them out. That's lightningpod.fm. Okay, so we were talking before about just the kind of the background of matter. What is it? What's it going to do? What's its promise? And so I want to spend a little bit more time diving into what we know of from what companies have said they anticipate on supporting, because it all comes down to what sort of support this has. There have been standards proposed, many, many standards proposed that were supposed to be the overarching IoT standard for the smart home. And I'm not talking about Zigbee or Z-Wave, but these larger alliances, and they never really took off. So what's different about this is that you have these big names on. You have Google and Apple and Amazon and Samsung. So what are those companies, I don't want to say promising so much as claiming their products will do or purporting that their products will do? These are the things that they're saying are on their roadmap or that are in some cases already out there before we get into those i just wanted to kind of put a stake in the ground for where we're at with matter this is starting to get real (laughs) and it's starting to get real in that they're approaching a 1.0 specification and sort of the next major hurdle that is going to make this even more real is when these major players that are all on the board ratify that first 1.0 specification. So in my mind, and you know, I said, we're sort of waiting on the sidelines. That's sort of the big event that needs to happen. And something we can talk about as we talk about these different players is who all needs to be at the table signing the, the 1.0 spec for this to be real. You know, I think that's kind of part of this, but I say at a minimum, some of these major players need to all agree on a standard 1.0, let's go forward for this to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with Google. Google has announced that all Nest displays and speakers are going to get an update to control Matter devices. They will be able to control different Matter devices. Now, notice that language. They specifically say, Nest displays. I have a generation one Google Home Hub. It will not get this update. It's not considered a Nest Hub. So think about that if you're thinking about what ecosystem you're in. Oh, maybe, you know, should I update my original Google Home Hub? If I want to be part of Matter, you're going to have to if this is something that you want to use and have as a device that can control matter devices. They've also said that all their newer devices that have thread in them will act as matter controllers. So things like the Nest Hub Max, the Generation 2 Nest Hub, their Wi-Fi system that you can buy, all of those things are going to act as matter controllers. Now we've kind of danced around this. Like what does that mean, a matter controller? That's kind of the brain. That's kind of the thing that's acting as the traffic cop and 
and the brain and the thing that is going to even help you onboard devices onto your system to be able to bring new devices in. The newest Nest thermostat, you mentioned this already, Jenny, the newest Nest thermostat, the, in my opinion, less exciting Nest thermostat is going to be matter compatible. This to me is a little bit baffling because we know that a version or a variant of Thread is used in some older Nest thermostats, the learning Nest thermostats. I was going to say, I think all of them have had Thread radios in them from the beginning. I mean, they were sort of the the originators of Thread. It was sort of their thing that they brought to the world. So it would surprise me if some of their older hardware didn't support this. I'm going to be really mad. My biggest Nest deployment in my house still today is smoke detectors. Those things are expensive. I've gone through and replaced them all at least once. And those things better, well, support matter or I'm going to be ticked. Well, there's no official announcement of that. So be prepared just in case. I I know some (laughs) folks over there at Google. I know who to yell at. (laughs) No, they've been very specific that it is not. The previous ones, like, well, they haven't specifically said no, but they're very specific that it's the new one. (laughs) And every time I ask that direct question, that's what I get. Our new Nest thermostat. Not making any guarantees. I know. And it's crazy. I remember a point a few years ago when Thread came out and, and the new Nest thermostat, the new one then, so like generation two or three. Mm -hmm. Came out and I was, I was like, this could be a smart home hub, you know, this, yep. this, this radio in. So I, I, it would be very sad. It's the best thermostat on the market, the third generation Nest. And if they don't bring it on, um, they'll be, I will be very sad. I will be <laughs> um, sad too. <laughs> but sensors are in there. So it, the little sensors that come with it could potentially. Potentially. Again, they haven't said that they would. So, yeah, I, this is this is very frustrating to me because I think you're right. This is the this is the one holdout device, right? This is the thing that isn't yet compatible with everything, particularly if you're in the Apple ecosystem. And to to hold out on making that matter compatible for any reason other than the hardware just won't support it, the hardware is too old for whatever reason, would be just, I think, a huge, huge mistake on their part. Oh, totally. I mean, every time I ask anyone what they would like to know about matter, can I control my Nest thermostat in HomeKit? Is that going to be... Can I do that? If I can, I'm on board. <laughs> and, you know, without Home Assistant or HomeBridge, yeah. can I? Gonna I was going to say, you yeah. can. <laughs> no, no, we're not going to <laughs> So, you know, can I do it without having to get a degree in um, computer science? <laughs> so, and that, I've asked that question straight out to people in the matter realm, and they all say yes, if both companies support. And that is the big if. around matter entirely going forward what each company is going to do right and i think this is a good point of like this is where things can go wrong is if people just get a bad taste in their mouth early on because their nest thermostats don't work with it 
you know, that's going to make people frustrated. So my hope is, hope, 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 is that everybody that has a hardware and software path to it, um, which I know very well the challenges that come with that and why, you know, old chipsets, memory size, security requirements, you know, see all the reasons why certain companies couldn't support HomeKit. I don't think Matter is as uh, intensive, you know, in that, you know, HomeKit had security chips and things like that, um, where it's going to make it that all the old stuff can't do it. But I can understand why some of it won't. But I hope that they've been thinking about this and will really put the time and effort into supporting those older devices and not use this as a reason to try to make people upgrade also. Like that's the icky, you know, thing somebody could do is like, oh well, we want them to replace their older thermostats, so let's just make the newer one, you know, that's that's not cool. Thermostat things drives me nuts too. I mean you should buy one and it should be on your wall for ten years. Yes. Totally. And just it's worth mentioning that there isn't a path from the Nest Learning Thermostat 3 to anything, really. There, there isn't a, a future product there unless there's one coming out. So, yeah, they need to solve this problem. Absolutely. Now, one other thing that each manufacturer has also mentioned, I believe Google, Apple, Amazon, and Samsung have all come out and said that their mobile devices, so their phones, their tablets, what have you, are all going to inherently, and their respective operating systems for such, will control matter devices. And to me, this just seems like a big duh. Like, I don't even know why they're even stating this, because they're going to have to have software that supports this stuff. Here was where one of my actually biggest concerns lied. Uh, okay. You know, I'm I'm Team Apple, and I have all Apple devices. But, you know, obviously we support Android on our apps and things like that. And if it was an OS-level Android update, you know, the latest version of Android was what supported Matter, and that was what was required to support Matter going forward. To me, that would have been a deal killer because to count on somebody to be able to be on the latest Android, like they just don't get the OS updates on older devices, like what happens on the Apple side of things. So early on, this was a big concern of mine. And I actually learned very recently that they intentionally designed this differently. So I believe one of my engineers told me about it, also not a deep technical expert here, but that they're going to handle matter support via the Play Store. So older versions of Android will get support for matter without the, it having to be a full, you have to be on Android, whatever. So that to me uh, actually was a big relief because that should mean that support for Android you know, because from a manufacturer's perspective, if you're going to go all in on matter and you, you're you going to say, this is how to use our devices, you need to be able to say, this is the addressable set of customers. You don't want to have to have kind of the, all these legacy ways to do things. And so I was very happy to learn that that was not a constraint. Yeah, that, that's really interesting to know because I don't get the impression that Apple is 
thinking that way. I get the impression that you got to be on iOS 15 or above if you want Matters support on your device. Yeah. I don't, th- I mean, looking at the stats on Apple, that's not as big of a concern. And I think the kind of people that are going to care about this probably are going to be on a device that shouldn't have a problem supporting iOS 15. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure it'll become a problem for, for some folks, but. Although, will you need to be on iOS 15 on your phone or would it be okay if you were on, you know, if you're on your hub? Because you have, I mean, most people that are going to be using HomeKit are going to have to have a hub like the Apple TV or the right Mini, both of which have thread, correct? So right. um, maybe if you had an older iPad, it might. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I- I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure you're going to have to be on iOS 15 um, to to have support. So yeah, and how far back does 15 go though? Like, does it go to eight? The iPhone eight? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and as you say, most Apple customers are pretty good with keeping up to date. Um, so it shouldn't be as. I think it, you're right, though. In on the Android front, it would have been a very big issue if if it was <laughs> if you were having to deal with um, Pixel fours or no Pixel is wrong because they update Pixels, but Motorola's <laughs> <Right. laughs> or <laughs> I'm, right. I'm also an Apple person, so I don't know the names of. Yeah, or or let's look, you know, like like LG, a, a device manufacturer who has decided they're not going to make Android phones anymore. So what's the likelihood that they're going to come out with an update for their operating system that would support this? It, so having it available as something that you could get through the Play Store helps solve that constant splintering problem that we talk about in the Android ecosystem. I love they did mention so they mentioned that at the developers conference obviously and there was a lot of discussion but one of my favorite things that came out of the developers conference was their announcement that they were rebranding their entire smart home division and they were calling it Google Home. Huh. <laughs> huh. I feel like I know that name. <laughs> that was I, I, I was like really they were so excited when they I had a pre-brief and they're like yeah this is our new name. So, but I guess that's from the developer side, right? There's so there were so many different pieces and parts you had to pull together as a developer for Google Home support, and now it's all in one place. But um, I'm glad um, they landed on a name. I'm very proud of them. Just speechless. I yeah. I okay. Remember at home, the Google at home. That was what they were going to call this years ago. Maybe even a decade ago, quite a long time ago, didn't happen. All right. Anyway, we were talking about Apple. So let's talk a little bit more about that. You mentioned that the HomePod mini has thread on board. And I think at the time, everyone was like, um, huh? And you heard people doing things like, oh, look, I can pair my light bulb to my, well, so what? Like, why is that? A, who cares? So there's obviously a bigger plan there. And, uh, this is going to be a part of their matter world. But also at WWDC, their developer conference, they had a session where they talked about matter. And their approach to matter is really kind of interesting. And help me out, Adam, if I'm not describing this right, but it sounds to me like if you are going to support a device for HomeKit in iOS 15 or later, that inherently, without much additional work, it should be matter compatible. 
Yeah, that that's sort of my interpretation and what I've seen and heard so far is that that's the path going forward. And I think this was one of the challenges with HomeKit and why Apple got on board was because in the past, if somebody in a new category, let's say, you know, they wanted to support robot lawnmowers in the future, like Apple had to do their own set of device support for that specific kind of device. And that's just a a lot of balls to keep in the air juggling and working with the manufacturers on that. So now instead of having to manage how do we support robotic lawnmowers, Matter will handle that. And it sounds like their way of handling that is to have all the people that are going to make robotic lawnmowers, you know, sit in a room, talk about what do we need to control these in this specification. And then, you know, they figure that out. So to the point we talked about earlier, that alleviates these big players from all having to do this work. So now they can do it one place centrally. Actually, the work isn't done by the big players. It's done by the companies who care and who are, you know, stakeholders in this space. And then they can get it right. And, you know, we already talked about cameras and locks and some of these categories that have challenges to them. They have, you know, issues and intricacies and, you know, things that need to be well thought out uh, from a user perspective, from a security perspective. And so, yeah, those are absolutely the people who should be making the decisions. Yeah, and I think one of the things I'm most interested in from a developer standpoint, and I don't know that they've really addressed this yet, is are you going to need to get Matter certified, Thread certified, and HomeKit certified? That is a good question. I would, I mean, from what I've seen out there, it does look like, if you're building a thread device, you're going to have to be thread certified separately. And then you would probably also need to go through matter. But if you're a Wi-Fi device, you would only get matter certified. And haven't you said that one of the promises of this is that it does reduce that ecosystem specific certification process down to one that you're basically getting matter certified instead of Apple and Google and Amazon. I don't think they've actually announced that though, have they? I mean, it means you don't have to develop for them, but whether you have to have the certifications as well, I don't think it sounds like that. I think is still up in the air. Um, like I, it was um, the wise CEO um, was on a panel with Stacy Higginbotham and he was saying that that was something that hadn't been finalized. And right now it looks like you would still need certifications for all the platforms, HomeKit, Alexa, Google Home. But perhaps that will change. That is another hurdle that we do not know if people are going to have to jump over or not yet. As far as I'm aware, Adam, you probably have a bit more insight than I would. I'm, my hope would be that that process would be eliminated because I feel like that's part of the promise of all of this. And if a manufacturer still has to go through four now would have to go through four hoops instead of, you know, four or five hoops instead of uh, three, it's, you know, it would just be like, okay, why are we doing this? Like it doesn't make it easier unless those certifications are, you know, simpler, more, you know, automated, don't cost any money, you know, quick, 
if if that's all it is, you know, once you have your matter certification, it's like a rubber stamp that they run it through some script or whatever and say, "Oh, cool, you're approved." That's fine. But if it's if it's like the certifications are today, no. Like that's that's the whole problem this is trying to solve. We don't we can't have that. Yeah, I'm hoping and optimistic that they're going to go with matter being an overarching certification. And just the thing that we were talking about a little bit ago, you know, there, there are two kind of different perspectives to Apple's approach here. One is that they're aligning HomeKit development with matter development. So it'll make making HomeKit compatible devices compatible with matter easier. At the same time, and this is what you are diving into more, Adam, they're also making it so that HomeKit will inherently support device categories that it doesn't even know of yet, because Matter will support them. So by saying that, I think they're saying that a certified Matter device will have the permission to show up in their controllers. That's the only way that can work from what I could see. It'll be a huge benefit for HomeKit users because, I mean, it's taken them, what, four years to get a temperature sensor as a, a <laughs> trigger for your scenes. And and what about, there's so many categories we're still missing. I remember when I was reviewing smart sprinklers, I was talking to the smart sprinkler manufacturers and this as they were going through the certification, not the certification process, but they were trying to set up the home kit protocol and it was like painful and it took like two years. So yeah, yeah this will be a boon. For, I mean, this will really could be a huge boon for home kit. If we can finally start using our robot lawnmowers or vacuum cleaners. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, let's move on to Amazon. And a lot of people have complained that Amazon hasn't really been very vocal about matter, certainly not to the extent that Google and Apple have been. I think that's a fair assessment, but they have said that everything but their first-gen Echo lines, so like the first Echo, the first Echo Dot, the first uh, Echo Tap, or I guess that's the only Echo Tap, <laughs> is not going to be compatible with Matter. But everything else, all the other Echo devices are going to get a firmware upgrade that is going to allow them to control Matter devices. That's great. That's really good news. That means you'll be able to talk to your Amazon Assistant and be able to control your Matter devices. That's, that is really, really necessary. And potentially helps solve some of the gaps in their ecosystem as well in terms of device support. The other thing that they mentioned specifically this summer, I believe it was, is that they're working very closely with Signify. Signify, of course, is the uh, company behind Philips Hue to test the Philips Hue products working with their matter support. So they're kind of like their guinea pig. And using them. And it's a good use case because lighting is probably their most common used device on the Amazon smart home. So I, I think that's a, a good sign. I'm curious though, 
you know, how does that extrapolate to all the other device categories? I think we'll have to see there. And while we're talking about other device categories, you already mentioned this. Where's Ring in this game? Where are they? They make lights. They make more than just cameras and camera doorbells. Why isn't there any mention of Ring support for Matter? Yeah, I think this is one of the troubling ones. And we already talked about, you know, sort of that frustration of if there are is progress in the Matter world and people who have invested in things and, you know, things that are screwed in and wired in and, you know, install heavily installed. I mean, we've invested quite a bit in ring devices. So if, you know, it turns out that everything is great and everything's wonderful and everything supports matter except for ring, like that's going to stink. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to deal with that world. And it may be that as we talked about earlier, the whole video thing is really what holds them back. Video is the most important part of them. And if there's a working group talking about how to do video right, I hope they're one of the leads on that group because, you know, they need to advocate for what they need to be successful and to support it. You know, I think that's part of what the whole, I mentioned earlier, the whole HomeKit problem was, was it was more Apple telling them, here's what you have to do to support HomeKit secure video. And they were like, yeah, that's not going to work. So, they need to come to the table and, you know, share what what needs to be in the standard for it to work with them. Otherwise, you know, this could be another problematic area. Yeah, I think one of the big issues around Ring and probably around other security systems and cameras is um, the control level, multi-admin control and access to the subscription services. So, you know, Ring is all based around subscriptions. So if you have Ring system and you decide you want to access it through your HomeKit app or through your Google Home app, are you never prompted? Ring may kind of lose that connection or any any company, not just Ring. There are other, there's a lot of smaller companies out there like Abode and that have cameras and have sensors that we haven't heard from yet uh, about matter you know it's fine for the big companies to jump on board here but how is this going to affect revenue models for all the other companies that are smart home companies in this space and the multi-admin control is wonderful for the consumer but where do the developers where do the manufacturers differentiate themselves i have a feeling that even though we're still going to be we're able to control everything through one app I think we're still going to have the folder on our home screen with seven or eight or 20 smart home apps. <laughs> I have two folders. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll be able to merge them into one because I have a folder for home kit and I have a folder for everything else on my home screen. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good point. One of the things that Apple has certainly tried to do with home kit is to eliminate the need for a branded experience app for many manufacturers. And this could do that across all platforms, but brands want their name in front of people and they want direct access to people for those subscription plans, for upsells, for additional merchandise. There are many reasons that that communication vector is important. And I think they're going to have to figure out a way to 
still allow that without it being intrusive or annoying. Yeah, I think you have to have that. I think I've kind of come around on this that I think brands should have a excellent first-party experience in their app focused on their devices. And that's what a brand's app should be. And then let's let you know the home app or whatever be that broader experience and the interop experience. And if we can actually unburden some of those brands from having to do that, I actually think that's probably a better experience for everybody anyways, you know, where, okay, if I want to get into my settings or deal with my ConnectSense stuff, do that in our app. But if I want to do whole home stuff, then I'm going to do that in one of these other kind of whole home type apps. The brand experience is going to be key. And I think Matt has actually gone out its way or CSA has gone out of its way to say that the brands will still have that opportunity. Um, And that's actually, I mean, they are just a layer. Matter is just a layer. And then, so the competition will still be between which app you want to choose to control. But I think what you're saying, Adam, is key. We don't want, I don't want an experience that we have now when I open my Eve or my Nanoleaf app and I have every other HomeKit device appear in there. And it's like, I don't even know how to control my Nanoleaf devices because there's like 500 other things in my app. So being able to focus on their core experience and their added features that make you want to go to them is going to be important and is going to be present. That's, I think that's going to be the option. But I think the problem there is against what we've been promised, which is one app to rule it all. Um, we're still going to have to be juggling and using and signing into and um, working with different apps if we want those extra features. For the very simple things like light bulbs, you know, you may not need to do that. But individual companies, that's the way they're going to distinguish themselves. And I ask this question because one of the ways companies distinguish themselves right now is who they work with. And that's going to go away. So how are they going to distinguish themselves going forward? And the answer I got was, well, that's going to go away. But what's going to arrive is many more customers. So there'll be a larger slice of pie for everyone, which should make up for that potential loss. Like Eve is the HomeKit go-to because they work so well with HomeKit. They will lose their main selling point when everyone can work with HomeKit, right? Yeah, but but I think you're right. I mean, having that broader audience, that, that broader customer base is going to be important to them for sure. I agree with both of you here. I mean, I think I really think that that first party thing is is key if you're going to build an app. But there are probably even going to be manufacturers who decide, you know what? We don't need our new app anymore. We're going to focus on the widget. And that could be good too, because instead of putting money toward building crappy software, they could instead build better hardware. Yeah, I think you've seen some people do that on HomeKit already, where they have a very minimalistic you know, app experience and they let they just kind of boot it all to the platform vendor or whatever. Yeah, I think you'll see that. But I, I think the best devices will still have a good first-party experience because for a new user, like the way I always try to think about it is like if somebody's first device is one of our devices, you don't want to just boot them into this vast world of smart home. You want to kind of give them that great standalone experience 
So I think there's a way to straddle that as well as the power users that want to, you know, do all of the interop stuff. All right. Well, I want to talk about one more manufacturer here, and I think this is going to lead to a little bit of discussion about how the companies are supporting Matter, and that is Samsung. Samsung had its developer conference just a couple days ago, and one of the things that they announced is that Matter is going to be in all the things, but when they say all the things, they mean that all of their things that they're currently calling hubs. So the smart things hub that you can either get from AOTech or might be built in as software to your fridge, your TV, other devices. These are all going to be updated so that they become matter controllers. What they did not talk about is any ability to allow matter to control smart things, things that are connected to those hubs. So for example, if you have a smart things plug or a smart things switch or a smart things light bulb, those devices aren't necessarily going to show up on matter there. At least they're not talking about it now, if that's in their plans. And you may know that one of the reasons people love smart things is that SmartThings has all those radios in it that can communicate to all those different other devices like Zigbee and Z-Wave and so on. So in theory, it could potentially be a bridge to other types of devices, but that isn't something that they're talking about right now. So this, to me, just kind of reinforces how if you look through everything that we've talked about, most of these companies are saying, oh, yeah, we'll be the controller and not talking a whole lot about which of their devices, if any, are actually going to be controllable through matter. And that's frustrating to me because all of these companies make other devices, maybe with the exception of Apple. No, I think even even Apple, it might be good to be able to uh, control, say, a HomePod as a speaker from matter through some other ecosystem. And it sounds like right now, nobody's thinking about that. They all want to be the one. <laughs> right. They all be the one ring. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. and Samsung, I mean, Samsung now technically does not make any smart home devices. <laughs> Correct. Um, Correct. Apart from vacuum cleaner and appliances. But they, you know, the sensors, the plugs, they've all gone. Um, and they don't make hubs anymore. But interesting you mentioned the appliances because they didn't talk about any plan to put their appliances on matter, to, to make them controllable through matter. No, they, they specifically said all, all devices would be matter controllers, so which is right. confusing. And um, Adam may have more insight here, but there, yeah, there's matter-enabled devices, which you can control. And then there are matter controllers, which control the devices. It would be nice to be able to control my washing machine and my dryer from any app. And they did not commit to that. <laughs> but that doesn't, they didn't say they wouldn't either. So I think that's still up in the air. But they did say they're going to put their hubs in their appliances, <laughs> but without the radios. Right. It's, so hub is a misnomer. We're talking about software only. It's a cloud connection. 
that's what smart things is going to be going forward. Yep. I, I hate to break it to. <laughs> well, well, except for their local control stuff. Right. Which is very interesting with the edge the control. I mean, I think they've got, they, they, they're making, a, I think they've come up with a good solution in this new world of the smart home of moving from the old to the new. Mm-hmm. I think Samsung, surprisingly, which of the big four would have been the last ones I would have expected to have really come up with a good solution, but they have. Um, and I think they're moving forward in, in strong, in a strong way. And they're being very specific about what they're doing rather than some of the others who have been a bit more wishy-washy <laughs> Amazon. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we know what Samsung's doing. They pretty much said we're done with the Zigbee and the Z-Wave and, and we're going, we're going forward with matter full in. And it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you can still buy a Samsung SmartThings hub, but that's not the future of, of the SmartThings platform. It definitely will be interesting to see. Any other thoughts, Adam, before we wrap up here? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, kind of concluding thoughts. I remain optimistic. I think we talked about, you know, a lot of ways that this could go well. Uh, We've talked about a number of wait and see. There's a few, like, they haven't said they're not going to do it. They haven't said they're going to do it. It's like, you know, Schrodinger's thermostat (laughs) in the, uh, you know, world or a washing machine there of like, okay, so those are all the other shoe that still has to drop. And I think those things are going to be what ultimately lends this to succeeding or not. We need all these big players to ratify the final first spec. We need everybody to get on board. We need some of these key devices to have support. Um, So, you know, I think 2022 is going to be, you know, a very telling year for where this is headed and how this is going to go. And uh, I'll remain hopeful until, you know, I see anything that is heading in the wrong direction. Fair enough. All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and close out with a listener question? We have a question via Twitter from Arnold, and he asks us, what do you think of the new homie platform from Adam? and the new Homey Bridge. So I don't know if you saw this at CES, if either of you saw this at the last physical CES we all attended in 2020, but I did. I saw the Homey Hub. I forget what, I don't, I think it's just called Homey. I don't think they call it the Homey Hub. And my impression was that it was incredibly powerful. It was incredibly expensive at about 300 pounds at the time, uh, available at that time only in Europe, and that it had an amazing user experience. The, the app seemed really, really good. The onboarding process seemed really slick. I was, I was really impressed with what I saw, but I felt it was very expensive. Now, they recently came out with some announcements in the last month or two. One is a new app that is free to everybody. Now, when I say free, it's the free drugs model. You can control up to five devices. And if you want more than that, you're going to have to fork over a little bit of money every month, you know, to keep that habit going. So that's an interesting pivot for them, and likely because of the response to the expensive service they had, but a way to bring their great experience to people 
using a kind of cloud services model and connecting to all your devices through the cloud. And then they're also offering a bridge, which is a cheaper device, I think coming in at about 70 or 80 pounds now. And that will bridge to the normal protocols like the Z's, like Bluetooth, 433, which I find really interesting, and infrared. So you could incorporate them into your experience using this bridge and adding that on top of the monthly fee that you would pay to support these devices. So I don't know, either of you know anything more about this? It seems interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting question to talk about on the back of everything we just talked about. I know, I know. And and what I didn't, what I couldn't find is, are they talking about matter yet? I mean, to me, that's ultimately what, you know, I would put this kind of device into the list of things. I say would it. Come not. on. That's ultimately what matters. Yeah, that's Come on. A- say it. <laughs> that's what matters. You know, it, it could be either really useful or it could be a brick in six months because it doesn't have a path going forward. So, you know. This kind of thing is probably one I would hold out on unless, you know, you see a really compelling standalone use case for yourself in just this ecosystem. I think that's the case where I would be okay with it. If it's like, all right, I want to do this one core thing. They're going to do it really well. I'm good with what I have today. And if it never was anything else, that's fine with me. Go for it. If you want something more than what they offer today, I would wait and see. Yeah, I saw them at CES a couple of years ago, and I was I was very impressed. And I've been following them ever since. And I watched their announcement of this, and my my jaw dropped. <laughs> I was like, "What? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> this just I it didn't make a lot of sense to me. This this pivot, and but perhaps it's a pivot because of matter. I think you're right. We just have to wait and see if if it supports matter. But there are, as everyone from Z-Wave and and formerly Zigbee have have been saying, a lot of people that are still using all the Zs and these other protocols that still need updated and new features and hardware for controlling their homes with the demise of Wink. Not demise, sorry. (laughs) The sleepiness, the sleepiness of Wink. And the the demise of the Samsung SmartThings platform, and now we have the AOTech, which was you couldn't buy for like six months. It's on a ship on the way over here. Oh, right, exactly. Um, so there is a market for this. I think it's a niche market, and I. But I would totally agree with Adam. If this is if you're looking to start a smart home, I wouldn't say go out and buy this and use it to go forward. But it could certainly be a good solution for a current smart home that's looking for a, a strong hub to control it. Yeah, it's definitely a a hub solution of sorts that seems a little bit late to the game. The thing that intrigues me here, and Adam, I'd be curious, you mentioned a specific use case, if this is what you meant. That 433 radio is really intriguing because right now, as far as I'm aware, Alibra, with their Bond Bridge, is really the only company doing 433 control. So they could offer support for things like fireplaces and fans and blinds that you can't get with a normal hub because they're not connected devices. Yeah, the tough thing about 433 is that often it's done in a way that manufacturers don't share the protocol. They're just doing their own standalone stuff. I mean, 
I don't know that it's exactly 433. It might be something in that range, but like Lutrons is a good example. Their clear connect is in that sort of frequency range. And you know, you're not controlling Lutron stuff with a third party bridge, like maybe in some cases, but I don't think it's a catch all for everything that works that over that radio. All right. Well, if you have a smart home question, you can send it our way with the hashtag Ask Smart Home Show, and uh, we'll pick a question like this to include in each show. All right. Jennifer Patsantui, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Where can people find you these days? I think it's a little bit different than the last time I asked you. You can find me on TheVerge.com, writing lots and lots of smart home home stuff. Uh, My first piece, actually, for The Verge was on Home Assistant. So I did the smart home community proud, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. We're going full hardcore smart home geek, <laughs> um, and but I'm covering matter and, and reviews. Reviews is my main sort of game, so lots of reviews. And you can also follow me on Twitter at JP2E. I love that Twitter handle. That's just absolutely brilliant. Adam, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Justice and everything my company is working on at ConnectSense.com. How about you, Richard? You can find me over at the digitalmediazone.com and on Twitter at Richard Gunther. The Smart Home Show is part of Technology.fm, which is a collection of tech-focused podcasts that includes the Home Tech Podcast, the now again renamed Spoon Podcast, and my show Home One, which I haven't put out for a good while, but I have some stuff coming up. You can also go to smarthome.fm, which is our site where we have all our show notes and details about each episode, or send us feedback at feedback at smarthome.fm. And of course, you can find us in all the usual places. And if you like what you're hearing, do us a favor, let people know or leave a rating or a review. That's going to do it. Thank you for listening. Thank you.